I get a kick out of church signs when I'm driving around or seeing them online. Here are some of my favorites. Here's a sign. Be the kind of person your pet thinks you are. (laughs) One church was really out there when they posted this. You think it's hot here? (laughs) And then they put Revelation 2015. Or this one, honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. (laughs) And this one, having trouble sleeping? Try one of our sermons. (laughs) Why are you laughing? And then this last one, CH, blank, CH, what's missing? You are. Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of people missing from churches today. Just two or three decades ago, it was common for Christians to meet together three times a week, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Prior to the pandemic, church members were considered active if they gathered twice a month. Now, according to researcher Tom Rainier, the once-a-month churchgoer is the fastest-growing segment of church life. A recent Gallup survey found that only 20% of Americans attend church once a week. And that's down from 32% in the year 2000. That's represented by that top dark blue line. uh, It starts up there and you can just see it just cratering, just going down. The nuns, no, not the sweet women wearing the black clothes and and the hats, no. The nuns, N-O-N-E, who are religiously unaffiliated, now make up 30% of Americans. So in response to surveys, these are people who are like, I got nothing, I don't believe, I'm not affiliated with any church at all. On top of that dire data, the most troubling finding to me is that the number of evangelicals who never attend church has increased from 25% pre-COVID to 33% today. One pastor lamented, quote, the great task of the church is not only to get sinners into heaven, but to get saints out of bed. (laughs) One of the saddest things I hear when I'm out in the community and I meet someone, I'm trying to have a conversation, and and if the person's not a believer, asking the Lord to take the conversation so I could share the gospel. And other times I meet somebody and I find out that they're a Christ follower. One of my first questions then is, oh, where do you gather for worship? I know most of the gospel-preaching churches in the Quad Cities. Where do you worship? And so many times I get an answer like this. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Eric Davis writes this, churchless Christians, flockless sheep, bodiless body parts, First century Christians would not have had a category for such a thing. It would have been one of the most bizarre phenomena imaginable. 
Another pastor laments, many have untethered themselves from the ministry and mission of the visible church. Instead, they prefer to cobble together a highly personalized spirituality, some from websites, some from books, little podcasts here, little preaching from TV here, and many today, he writes, have grown partial to online worship instead of in-person for reasons of convenience and autonomy. They envision Christianity on their own terms without accountability, without discipline, or without shepherding care. The glaring problem with this approach is nowhere in Scripture do we see this kind of privatized faith. It is utterly foreign to biblical Christianity. A Christian without a church is like a lone sheep in the wilderness exposed to countless dangers. Now, Before going much further, let me just put to words what you're already thinking, like, dude, why are you talking about this? I'm here. I got up today. I'm in church. Well, I think Edgewood is actually an outlier in this regard. I have never been around so many committed followers of Christ in my life. You guys are countercultural when you commit to gather with God's people on a regular basis. Now, having said that, in a church our size, there are people who've not yet made that commitment to gather with God's people on a weekly basis. Perhaps you have church hurt in your past. Perhaps you've been looking and can't find a place. I was so moved this last weekend by how Pastor Kyle in our Mainspring ministry led our three-hour Good Friday reflection time Yeah, I said three hours. We were in here focusing on the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. And I'm still replaying elements of our Resurrecting Hope Easter services. And man, special thanks to Pastor Chad and to Dave Bennett, along with our worship and tech teams, to Pastor Ed and our guest services team, to Sheila Kershack and Liesl Parks for the incredibly creative and gospel-grounded Edge Kids ministry. By God's grace, over 1,500 adults and children attended our four services last weekend. Now, as a way to celebrate the incredible depth of our members and to spur the rest of us on, I decided to put a post on the Edgewood Facebook page this week, and here's what I said. We're conducting a survey about the blessings and benefits of gathering with God's people for worship. Would you take a minute or two and share why you gather for worship? During 2023, we're encouraging everyone at Edgewood to be all in. Are you aware the word everyone is used 200 times in the Bible? It means all. It means every. It means whole. So our assignment from the Almighty, is for everyone to be on mission by gathering, by growing, by giving, and going with the gospel all for the glory of God. And today, our focus is on everyone gathering. We want to see everyone connected every week. And here are our action steps to prioritize in-person worship, to maximize our guest services, 
to develop an assimilation process and to add a Good Friday prayer and reflection time. Now, before we turn to God's word, I want you to think with me about a group of fellow Christ followers. Many of them are new in their faith, some who came to faith in Christ from a Jewish background, and so they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They started out strong, but then persecution came. These Christians were being ostracized, left out, disregarded by culture, looked down upon. And so these Christians, well, some were ready to bail on their faith. They're like, I'm out. This is too hard. And others, well, they were compromising their convictions. As the society was going south, they were joining them on that slide. Others, well, others had simply allowed other pursuits to crowd out the primacy of Christ and the priority of gathering with other Christians. Now, with that as background, let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able and in honor of God and his word. Let's read together beginning in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. What we're about to do is an act of worship. The Bible says give public attention to the reading of God's word. So we're obeying him and and this is a time for us to be filled with joy And also with reverence as we read. Let's read together. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hey, thanks for reading. You can be seated. Let's begin with a few observations. First one is this. This section begins with the word, therefore. That's a word of conclusion. It's linking what we're about to discover together with all that has happened already, all that's been taught in the opening chapters of the book of Hebrews. And most of that has been doctrinal, and now the writer to Hebrews moves to our duty. Notice also the word since is found twice, verse 19 and verse 21. It indicates that based on these amazing positional truths, we must now put those into practice. Next, the three virtues of the Christian faith, faith, hope, and love are prominent in this passage. And finally, this passage celebrates the importance of Christian community. Observe with me the use of 12 plural words like brothers, we, us, our, and one another. One Edgewood member said it like this, corporate worship is different from worshiping alone. 
I love to see and visit with my forever family and to enjoy worshiping with fellow believers. Here's our main idea today. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Because of our faith in the Lord Jesus, you and I have been tethered to two transforming truths. Check this out. Number one, we have open access to the Almighty. Join me in verse 19 again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The word brothers, oh, it's a tender word. It literally means from the same womb. We are brothers and sisters. And it speaks of our relationship as forever family members in the faith. The word confidence refers to boldness of speech, liberty, freedom. So watch this. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, you and I can come boldly into the holy places. Now, we learned two weeks ago that the most holy place in the tabernacle and then later in the temple had a keep-out curtain on it. Remember, there were two cherubim on it, and this thick curtain kept everybody out from going into the most holy place. Well, actually, the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement after making sacrifice for his own sins. But when Jesus died, that temple curtain, some four inches thick, was torn from top to bottom, wide open, signifying that believers in Jesus have unlimited and unfettered access. I love how creative our Edge Kids ministry is. This is what they had downstairs last weekend during our Easter focus where they put a keep out curtain there and then opened it up to show that because of Jesus and his resurrection, we have full access. Would you observe God's made a new and living way? New means newly slain, freshly Slaughtered. It would have made these new believers think immediately of the crucifixion. And would you note the word living would have made them think of the resurrection. Now, for us, we're like, okay, curtain, temple, tabernacle, we're trying to figure all that out. But get this, a Jewish person would have grown up with that. They would have known that only the high priest can go in that part. It would have been a radical thought for someone with a Jewish background to even consider going into the very presence of God and to do so with confidence. So, friends, we have access. Notice also we have an advocate. Verse 21, Jesus is called a great priest. The word great is the Greek word megas, mega. So you have priests, you have a high priest, and then you have Jesus, the great priest, the mega priest, in a whole nother category. Now, let's look at how we can put our position into practice. We're given three specific actions, and these come right from the text introduced by the phrase, let us. Here's the first one, and this one has to do with our relationship with God. Let us draw near. 
I'm in verse 22 where we read, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we have this open access. We have an advocate. Well, now we're urged, it's a command to draw near. It's imperative. You and I must do whatever it takes to get as close to God as possible. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. Here's the deal. When we come, we don't have to worry about him being busy. We don't have to worry about not having access. We don't have to worry about the curtain being there. No, it's wide open. We won't be rejected because we have full assurance of faith. That phrase, full assurance, means to be under full sail. <laughs> Born-again believers are clean because Christ has washed us in his blood. Let me ask a question. Are you making it a practice to draw near to God? Or are you just going through your week without even thinking much about that? We're called to draw near to him. Secondly, to hold fast so if draw near has to do with our relationship with God, as we look at the world around us, we're urged to hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is in the present tense. And so we're to keep on holding fast to the one who will never forsake us, to the one who will never leave us. So in the midst of our society slide into sin and its deplorable depravity, we must hold fast, which means to hold down, to retain. That's why we've been preaching verse by verse through the book of Genesis. And we're standing on the truth of God's word, that God is our creator, that God created two genders, male and female, that life begins at conception, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Why are we doing that? Why? Well, it's to equip all of us to hold on. As our culture goes south, we're called to hold fast. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Question, are you holding on? Or are you being swept along with what your friends say, what you watch on TikTok, what you hear in our culture? Are you just like, yeah, you're just kind of going along with all of that, absorbing that? Oh, there's a third one, a third let us, let us consider. This command has to do with our relationships with one another. In verse 24, we're called away from our own self-centered desires and let us consider. That word consider means to contemplate, to notice, to observe. Oh, it'd be like this. When you came in today, you made some observations and maybe right when you came in the doors, you were observing, maybe you observed people laughing, 
Maybe you looked at somebody and they looked sad, far away. Maybe somebody who's nervous, somebody who's carrying a burden. When you came and sat down, perhaps you looked down the row or maybe there's someone near you and you're like, I hope they're okay. That's now what we're called to do. We're to consider. It's the idea of being aware of what's around us and taking note of those around us. This was fleshed out beautifully by one member who wrote these words. Oh, this is so good. I love to look at others up close through God's eyes. I love to see facial expressions, hear the chatter and laughter before and after service. I love to observe the faces and body language as we worship together through song. There is no substitute for feeling the Holy Spirit move among God's people who are gathered together. This week, Beth and I listened to part of a podcast, it was by Jen Wilkin, in which she said that there are two eyes that Christians need to gouge out. Well, that got my attention. The first eye, individualism. The second eye, instant gratification. We need to restore delayed gratification and renew our commitment to a covenant community. Friends, get this. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Now, we're helped in this passage. Now we go even deeper on this main point. We're commanded to do three things. They come right out of this text. Number one, stir up one another to love and good deeds. That word stir up is strong. It's a strong phrase. It means to provoke. (laughs) It means to sharpen and stimulate. So it can be used negatively as in provoking or irritating someone, or it can be used positively like sharpening someone. So we're not to stir up trouble. No, we're to provoke love and labor in one another. Now, for most of us, let's just be honest, we're not even thinking that way. We come into a service like, oh, I hope I like the music. Oh, I hope the sermon's not too long. Good luck with that. Or (laughs) we're, we're not by nature coming in thinking of other people and how we can stimulate them to love Jesus better and love their neighbors more fully and for them to be involved in works of service. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to be contributors, not consumers. We're called to be stimulators, not irritators or fault finders. I like how the Amplified Bible puts it, and let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and excite to love and helpful deeds. The New Living Translation says it more succinctly, think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. Let me say it like this. There are 59 one another statements in the Bible. 59 commands. Unless 
You and I are in close community with other believers. We will not be able to obey or to fulfill those commands. It's also interesting that the word saints, which refers to Christians, is used 62 times, but it's never used in the singular. It's always plural. You and I are designed to gather in community with one another, all for the glory of God. Now, one of the reasons we're to gather for worship is to help motivate our brothers and sisters to love better and labor more fully in acts of service. Here, the emphasis is not on what we get from church, but on what we can give to fellow Christians. Mm. Hebrews 3.13 says this, we're to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. And there's a comma and then the word that or so that. So why do we exhort? Why do we do it every day? Check this, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, If I'm not encouraging you, exhorting you, I could be contributing to the hardness of sin and the deceitfulness of sin in your own life. So that person near you or that person who you're in relationship with, if you're not encouraging them or exhorting them, you could be contributing to that hardness. And so instead of focusing on ourselves, we're to consider our brothers and sisters and ask a question, something like this, how can I help them grow In what ways? In love and in service. How can I help stimulate spiritual growth in them? Notice next, develop the habit of meeting together. We're to work together and we're to worship together. In the first part of verse 25, it seems like some believers had bailed on church or they had become less committed, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The word neglecting is quite strong. It means to abandon, to leave in a lurch, to desert, to forsake. J.B. Phillips says it like this, and let us not hold aloof from our church meetings as some do. So attending and being involved in a church is not optional for the follower of Christ. Let me say it even stronger Not being part of a church, if you're a born-again believer, is an act of disobedience. Now, having said that, I know there are legitimate reasons why some people are unable to attend. And I am glad that we have the option of live streaming our services. But Luke 4.16 tells us Jesus made it his practice to gather for worship on a weekly basis basis. Check this. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Years ago, when the West was being settled, roads were often just wagon tracks heading out West. These rough roads posed serious problems for those who traveled on them. I'm told next to one of those roads was a sign with these words on it, quote, avoid this rut 
or you'll be in it for the next 25 years or 25 miles. Did I say years? 25 miles. Okay, now let me say years. Some of you have been in a rut. You're just like going the same way. You don't know how to get out of that. That's like how a bad habit is. Bad habits are like comfortable beds. (laughs) They're easy to get into but hard to get out of. I often tell people you can have good habits or bad habits. It's better to have good habits. And most Christians I know who have unplugged from church have not sat down at some point in the past and said, I'm never going to church again. That's it. I'm done. Now, some people have made that decision. But here's my observation as a pastor. Here's what I think happens. People get out of the routine. They come and they want to come. And then the next week, Maybe they're sick. The next week, they're out of town. Next week, something else comes up. And pretty soon, a month turns into two months, which turns into half a year. And then it's Christmas or Easter. And then you're feeling guilty like you're not involved. And now you don't even know where to go. Look at it this way. If you came to a service on Easter weekend and you're now back today, you're in a new habit. So thank you for coming. The New Testament from Acts chapter 2 to Revelation 3 is about a local church or written in the context of a local church. Of the 114 times the word church is used, at least 90 refer to specific local gatherings of believers who've banded together for fellowship and mission. The word church, well, it never connotes single, individual, or lone ranger Christians. We don't see free agent believers roaming around the New Testament. In a letter to the editor of a British newspaper, a man wrote in and he complained that he saw no sense in going to church every Sunday. This is what he wrote. I've been attending services quite regularly for the past 30 years, and during that time, I've listened to no less than 3,000 sermons, and I cannot remember a single one of them. I wonder if a pastor's time might be more profitably spent on something else. Well, that letter sparked many responses. One, however, was the clincher. Check this. I have been married for 30 years. During that time, I've eaten 32,850 meals, mostly of my wife's cooking. I've discovered that I cannot remember the menu of a single meal, and yet I receive nourishment from every one of them. I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death long ago. Friends, let's make sure we're not attending Bedside Baptist or Church of the Inner Springs. You know, that was funnier when I wrote it than... (laughs) Here's what I've observed. Those who unplug will eventually unravel because faith withers in seclusion. Christianity is meant to be covenantal and communal, not individualistic or isolated. Notice, finally, encourage one another. Do it with urgency. Verse 25, but encouraging one another and all the more. Why? Because the day is drawing near. An encourager is one who comes next to somebody in order to give 
aid, like an advocate. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Listen, it's impossible to encourage others if you're not engaged with others. We're to have urgency in our encouraging because the return of Christ is getting closer than it's ever been before. We must, we need to encourage each other because the time is short. And as we get closer to the return of Christ, listen, settle this. It's not going to get easier for you to live as a Christ follower. It's going to get harder. And are you ready for that? It's going to become harder and harder to live holy lives, and it's going to become more and more important for Christians to do life in community with fellow Christ followers. Here's what I think. Years ago, there was this like comfortable middle, this cultural Christianity. Pretty easy to say you're a Christian and not really live it, but it's right here in the middle. That middle is shrinking And some have bailed, and they've just gone away. But here's the good news. As that middle shrinks, some of those who are just cultural Christians, casual Christians, have become sold out to Christ. Men and women and teenagers who are saying, I'm going to stand on the word of God no matter what happens in our culture. God, allow me to love those around me and share the gospel with those who need to know it. God, help me to live with urgency, with passion, and with commitment. And I see Edgewood filled with people like that. So let's remember when we gather, it's not primarily for ourselves. We gather with God's people to meet with God. We gather for praising, we gather for preaching, and we gather for praying. It helps to be reminded how committed our persecuted brothers and sisters are. One of the podcasts I listen to is put out by Voice of the Martyrs. It's called VOM Radio if you want to check it out. They, come, they put out a weekly podcast of believers in hard places living for Jesus. I came across a story from one American pastor. He had an experience when he was visiting Christians in another country. He said, we visited a site where believers had been bombed during a worship service and many had died. Months later, they heard there was going to be another bombing at this church. One church member told this pastor, I have a wife and a young son. I was scared for them. I thought, maybe we could just miss church tomorrow. It's okay. We want to stay safe. But I couldn't sleep too well that night. I was struggling and praying, so in the morning I said to my wife, I will go alone. She said, let's all go together to the early service. I agreed. We should worship the Lord. We will go, even if we are the only ones there. On the way there, we nearly turned back a few times, but we said, we will go and worship even if we are the only ones there. And when we got there, there were not enough seats. Everyone was there. Friends, God wants everyone to be all in because his church, the capital C, is plan A. And there is no plan B. As I was preparing the sermon this week, I thought it might be helpful if we focused on some blessings that come as we gather 
together, some blessings or benefits that flow out of us gathering with God's people for worship on a regular basis. Now, this list may come in handy when you hear someone say, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. You also may find it helpful when you don't feel like coming. Now, as the week went on, I wrote down like seven. And the next day, I added some more. And I was thinking of others even while I was driving. And at a stoplight, I'd write on a piece of paper. And then I thought of some more. And so that list grew to like 15, and then to 20, and then to 25, and then to 30. Friday morning, it grew to 40. (laughs) So I'm going to go through them quickly And we do have copies available of this, hard copies, in both of the lobbies. You'll notice there's a scripture reference. I'm going to let you look that up yourself. Uh, Another way you could get a copy of this is if you contacted our office. We send our sermon manuscript out with study notes and discussion questions. Marie Guyton does that every Friday afternoon. So here we go. Number one. God is glorified when people gather to give him praise. Number two, we are humbled when we realize he is God and we are not. Paul David Tripp writes, corporate worship is designed to humble you by pointing out the depth of your need and enthrall you by pointing to the glory of God's provision. Number three, gathering together helps keep us grounded in our faith. One Edgewood member in her 30s writes this, with my busy schedule, things can take precedence, make me more anxious and worried. It's important to me to come to church because I find it keeps me grounded in God's word and deepens my relationship with Jesus. She's a new Christian, recently baptized. Number four, When we meet together for worship, we're impacted by the glorious message of the gospel. Number five, gathering together gives us courage in witnessing. Uh, One Edgewood member writes, taking the messages and lessons we receive helps me to speak to friends and family and give them insight of how much God loves us and that he's intricately weaving each aspect of life for our good and for his will. Number six, our worship through song fulfills God's command for God's gathered people to sing praise to him. Related to that, our singing together reinforces God's truth for those around us who hear us singing. Number eight, We're reminded we're not alone as we receive support and encouragement. One member writes, we gather for many different reasons. One is to connect and to develop relationships with others who love Jesus. Number nine, we're equipped for ministry and mission. Number 10, we grow in our love for our neighbors and for the nations, for the unreached nations of the world. One Edgewood member writes, we prayerfully and intentionally unite for the glory of God as we go with the gospel and we're blessed as we see God at work. Number 11, we have the joy of supporting and praying and hearing from missionaries. Number 12, we get to grow in our compassion and care for believers in need. Number 13, 
we have the privilege of celebrating communion in union with other believers. We celebrate communion the first weekend of every month. We have the joy, number 14, of witnessing believers declare their commitment to Christ through baptism. Our next baptism weekend is May 20 and 21. Number 15, we get to focus on the oneness we have in Christ. Instead of our generational, ethnic, let me add, political, racial, or socioeconomic differences. Number 16, when we gather for worship here, oh, we get a foretaste of heavenly worship to come when every nation and tribe and tongue is around the throne worshiping the Lamb. Number 17, we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And we conclude or, and conform us to the image of Christ. Number 18, non-believers who observe our worship will conclude uh, God is in their midst. Number 19, hearing the preaching of God's word allows us to be discipled corporately. Number 20, our joy is rekindled even when we go through hard times. One member writes, it's very hard during difficult times to praise the Lord alone at home. Going to church allows the worship and praising from others to lift your heart, allowing you to praise God throughout difficulties and suffering. Having a routine or habit of going to church for worship makes it easier to go during difficulties. Number 21, we experience the power of corporate prayer. 22, our gratitude will grow as we rehearse the gospel through song and sermon. 23, families are strengthened when they come to church together. 24, worshiping together is an opportunity to grow in generosity. 25, we learn how to bear with people who are different from us. I'm just going to leave that one alone. 26, we get to practice forgiving and asking for forgiveness. 27, we're reminded of our identity. We're reminded of our purpose, our mission, our meaning, the meaning of life. 28, we receive teaching that will help protect us from unbiblical beliefs and behavior. 29, we'll teach our children that God is more important than sleep and God is more important than sports. So this past week, I posted a post that I called When Ball Becomes Bail. And there's copies of that out in the lobbies if you want to pick that up. might be helpful for some parents. Number 30, we'll grow in gladness and joy. 31, we'll be assured of Christ's triumph over the devil, over death, and over our own depravity. 32, gathering together will help encourage us about the Lord's return. 33, when we worship together, we'll be reminded that because Jesus rose again, we can hope again if we're born again. That was our main idea on Easter. 34, gathering together reinforces our position in Christ while propelling us to put our faith into practice. Next, 35, when we gather together, we do so as brothers and sisters in Christ, as adopted members of God's forever family. 36, we learn together that the cost of following Christ is worth it because he's worth it. 
And we need to learn that because there's a cost. 37, we have the joy of telling the nations about the reign and the rule of God. 38, when we gather with one another, we'll have multiple opportunities to obey the one another commands. Well, then I thought of three others, and I didn't know how to number them, so let me just put them in here. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. We're called to do that, 1 Timothy 4. Or how about this, experiencing the power of two or three agreeing in prayer. And I thought of another one, by coming, by gathering with God's people, you get to learn Wisconsin is the promised land. (laughs) Okay, let me go back. 39, when we worship together, we can offer up a continual sacrifice of praise to our worthy God. And number 40, we'll have a front row seat when God brings revival to our church. You don't want to miss that, do you? No, you want to be part of that. So team, when everyone at Edgewood gathers together on a weekly basis, we'll be reminded that we have a purpose to live for, people to live with, principles to live by, a profession to live out, and power to live on. Herschel York writes this, the easiest act of obedience is gathering with the church for weekend worship. It only requires that you get up, get dressed, and get there. Yet, many Christians today will not do the easiest thing and wonder why they struggle with the difficult things. Oh, I want to share one more church sign. Perhaps you saw it when you drove in today. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. I wonder, are you ready to make a commitment to gather with God's people every week? Well, certainly there's times you're out of town or you're sick or working or other things come up, but will you make a commitment that that's your default, that that's the habit you're in, that you're going to make happen for you and your family? We've been developing a new habit at the end of our services where we've been encouraging one another to spend time greeting one another. It hit me this week that that's the model found in the closing chapter of four New Testament books where we read this command, greet one another. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I want to read this benediction over you, and then when we're done, turn to those around you and greet them. But check out this incredible benediction. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together (laughs) you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Turn now and welcome and greet those around you.